This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation. Gentex is a longtime supplier of electro-optical products for the global automotive, aerospace, and fire protection industries. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. Hello, and welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm Molly Boygon, tech and innovation reporter for Automotive News, in for Pete Bigelow this week. Last week, Automotive News traveled to Anaheim, California for the ACT Expo on clean transportation. I spoke to two company leaders with informed perspectives on the issues facing this industry. A little later, I'll talk with Nikola CEO Michael Loescheller about the zero-emission trucking startup's trajectory and why it's so bullish on hydrogen. But first up is John O'Leary, the CEO of Daimler Truck North America. We'll talk about how infrastructure challenges are creating a bottleneck for truck makers and what Daimler is trying to do about it. So, John, thank you so much for joining us on the Shift Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So um, just to start off, lots of exciting stuff happening at Daimler right now. But to take to take a look back for a moment, if you would, I'm wondering how eCascadia sales are going. Yeah, so eCascadia sales are um, going okay. You know, we launched that product here a year ago. And the uh, the ones that have got into customer hands, they've been super excited by it. They love the way it drives. The drivers love them. They, everything is good. The challenge is infrastructure. And so um, we could undoubtedly sell a lot more if there was infrastructure. In fact, we've had people say, hey, we love the five that we took delivery of. And if we had a way to charge them, we would take, you know, 200 more. So that's the challenge right now is infrastructure. Can you break down for someone who might not understand where the sort of um, pain point is for that? Is it with the utility getting electricity to the location? Is it a supply chain issue with the chargers? Where where does that kind of get slowed down? Yeah, I mean, it's primarily, I'd say, at the utility level of getting uh, power into the certain part of town where the customer resides and wants to basically have his charging station. So the switch gear that's required to do that, sometimes there's a separate substation that's required. That is typically on two to three year back order at this point in time. So if you decide you want something, you go stand in line and wait two to three years. Uh, and then, of course, you know that requires permitting and shovels in the ground to actually get the construction going and everything else. But that part of it is not so uh, problematic as much as just getting the, the power switched into a certain part of town. And what are your conversations like with utilities? What sort of solutions are they looking at for this problem? Well, I mean, we have conversations, but it's really usually better for the end customer to have conversations because they're typically the customer of that particular uh, utility. So their voice usually is a little bit louder than ours as somebody that might be 2,000 miles away. But we certainly try to prep them with what to say you know, in the in the lingo that, that utilities understand. But yeah, there's a lot of just conversations that are taking place. And of course, utilities feel under the gun because they're getting told by, you know, passenger car people to put in passenger car charging, which is different than long haul commercial medium heavy duty charging, you know, so they're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And of course, they have rate payers and financials that they're trying to manage at the same time. They don't have endless amounts of money to do it with. So a lot of different, uh, let's say, challenges for them right now. And what do you see the timeline being on this? I mean, going forward, how, how much longer are we going to be in this sort of snaggle with 
with getting charging infrastructure to, as you're saying, both commercial vehicles and passenger vehicles. I mean, the demand has just only seemed to be growing. Yeah. I mean, realistically, at least on the, the commercial vehicle side, we're probably looking at, you know, three to four years before we start to see a significant amount of uh, charging coming online. I, I want to turn to some of the new medium-duty trucking solutions that you've released, um, Ryzen and the EM2. Do you feel that the sort of medium-duty trucking solution has been found? I think that, you know, the, the heavy-duty and long-haul trucking conversation is sort of in a different place. But how would you characterize, you know, where we are in, in searching for a viable solution for medium-duty electric trucking? Yeah, well, I mean, typically when you're looking at a medium-duty application in terms of the, the amount of miles that it travels in a day, uh, battery electric is a great application for that. So whether it's school buses, which are medium duty, whether it's step vans that like Amazon and FedEx and others use, UPS, that's a great application. Or even the EM2 type of application, which is going to be typically used in like a box truck pickup and delivery type of application. Those are all really uh, perfect battery electric applications. So um, I feel like that is you know, one box we can check in terms of understanding what technology fits for what application. Like you said, for other uh, longer haul applications, potentially different uh, technology solutions there. But I do feel like we've kind of circled in on what we need for these kind of medium and short distance uh, applications. So what does that mean for where Daimler is kind of investing its R&D and just sort of, you know, the minds of Daimler, where, where is sort of the next step in terms of investment and finding the, the next great solution? Yeah, so we just continue to build out our portfolio. So we've got a lot of different vehicles, you know, our Freightliner Custom Chassis Group, which does school bus chassis and step van chassis and motorhome chassis, our Thomas built school bus division, which has type C already out, but not yet type D, that's coming, uh, which is the flat nose school bus. Uh, and then on the truck side, like you said, we've done E-Cascadia, we've done EM2, but we have others out there, such as the longer haul Cascadia, the all the Western Star products. Uh, some of these are probably more better applied for uh, hydrogen types of uh, fueling. So those are that's the direction that we're heading in right now, is trying to have really an answer in the zero emission space for all of our products, at least by the end of this decade. In terms of hydrogen fuel cell, that's also, I think, an infrastructure challenge. Well, it seems, I mean, are you optimistic about that? That that does seem to be, you know, given the battery weight concerns, where things are headed in the long haul space. But there is, you know, outside of the state of California, especially, there is an infrastructure challenge there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, the whole thing with, with hydrogen is that it's several years behind battery electric in terms of uh, infrastructure. However, for long haul and heavy vocational, it's, uh, it's really probably the perfect fuel. Now, the interesting thing there is you typically have companies like Shell, Exxon, et cetera, the big uh, petrochemical companies um, who are, uh, A, they've already got a lot of locations around. B, they're the ones that are going to ultimately have a lot of money to be able to expand this footprint, uh, as well as some of the big gas companies like Linda and others. So I think there's a lot of uh, money behind that uh, and a little bit more, um, call it more of a corporate uh, focus. Uh, as opposed to battery electric, which tends to be more utility and kind of more uh, public focus historically. So, you know, I think things will move quickly there. But again, we're starting from a very low point of implementation at this point in time. So it's going to take some time to scale that up. 
What what are you hearing from fleet owners and from truckers about hydrogen fuel cell powered trucks? I mean, are, are they? I think the the original now seemingly a very long time ago the original attitude toward um, electric trucks was I think skeptical and there was a lot of range anxiety. Um, what are you hearing from fleet owners and and truckers about hydrogen? Yeah, I think they're more um, willing to listen to that. I mean, a because they they understand it a little bit more, especially what we call H two ice, which is not the fuel cell hydrogen, but the internal combustion hydrogen, they understand that because it looks a lot like a diesel powertrain today. It's basically the same transmission, the same axles, even the engine looks the same. It's just fueled a different way. So they're, I'd say, probably more comfortable with that. But yeah, I mean, it, people look to us to provide answers. You know, they know trucking, they know how to get, you know, a pound of freight from here to there for the least possible cost but they're not always so up on the technology. Some of them are. The larger ones have very extensive engineering organizations, and they know uh, everything that there is to know about their vehicles. But for the most part, people are looking for us to provide some of those answers. And so we work very collaboratively with them. We have them come into our engineering spaces and talk to them, and uh, everything we develop is really uh, co-developed with them, Uh, whether it's dealers, customers, suppliers. We try to bring everybody together and not just, you know, come up with something in kind of an engineering vacuum that we think might be brilliant, but at the end of the day, the customer doesn't. So again, it's really all about uh, collaboration. I think that's a very interesting position for the company to be in because in some ways it's a lot of pressure. People are looking to Daimler to basically lend legitimacy to a particular technology. Um, how do you, how do you deal with that responsibility? Well, you know, it's a, there's a lot of responsibility that our, our company has in our industry. I mean, as a, as a leader, um, and we definitely see ourselves as, you know, the voice of the industry, or at least one of the, the voices of the industry. So that puts a little pressure on, but, you know, look, we're a big, uh, global, very well capitalized company with a lot of really smart people. And so, uh, we try to bring all that to bear, but with listening, right? Because we don't have all the answers and we understand that. And I think sometimes people get carried away with their own brilliance and forget that, there's a lot of answers out there that, that, you know, if your mouth's moving, you're not listening. And so for us, it's really about listening and try to get, whether it's around the globe, different solutions. I mean, I was in India like the week before last for a week, just trying to understand what they do better down there at our company down in India. And it's one of those things that I think Daimler has access to, whether it's technology, whether it's brain power, whether it's ideas. And again, we're trying to take the best of the best and figure out a way to deploy that for the best possible outcome for our customers in North America. The last few years have been so tumultuous and really, I mean, on the one hand, sort of explosive growth and demand, and on the other hand, all of these supply chain issues and just navigating COVID and geopolitical conflict. I'm curious what you've learned from both a production standpoint and from a leadership standpoint about about managing all of these myriad operations in, in circumstances that are beyond any any person's control. Yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, it was a big uh, wake-up call because um, we're in a cyclical business, but really the way we were challenged was just to, you know, try to optimize the up and minimize the the down. And that over time, when you see that enough times, you kind of understand what the playbook is to succeed at each one of those points on the on the graph. Now, all of a sudden, you know, bucket of cold water, COVID and everything else that, that's been going on, chip shortage, all that uh, transformation of powertrain. It really, I'd say, 
enlivens your your life. You know, there's a lot more thinking that you have to do, a lot more even, I don't know, inspiring you have to do into your company to make people understand that, hey, this is for real. You know, it's not going away. This is this is the new normal. And if we want to stay on top of the podium, you know, we had a big, big target on our backs. We need to up our game. And so how do you then inspire your people to do that? You know, and so we have this thing we call inspirational leadership where we really try to, to motivate people and help them understand that they're part of changing the world. You know, this is one of the things that some of the startups five, 10 years ago kind of jumped on that wagon, like, oh, come work for us and change the world. And at the time we were kind of like, wow, that's you're pretty full of yourself, pretty rich, you know, trying to make that claim. But, you know, when you start thinking about it, that's exactly what we're trying to do, right? And so that becomes kind of a rallying cry within our company, and it really helps us attract dramatically uh, more and better talent than we've had in the past in spaces that we haven't needed, like software engineers. Like five, ten years ago, we probably had a handful in our IT department. You know, now we have hundreds. So um, it's one of those things that we definitely have to understand where we are in the overall scheme of things and try to maximize that. Uh, but then again, understand that, you know, we've been the best in the past. We want to continue being the best. And so really challenge ourselves to continue getting after that. Yeah. Speaking of the startups, the landscape has just become so crowded. And, uh, you know, I've been spending a bunch of time with Daimler and, and have sort of picked up on this sentiment that um, part, of, part of the way that the company differentiates itself is through its history and its experience. And But as you're saying, you you also have to be constantly aware of being innovative and not sort of being caught on your heels. Can you talk about that tension a little bit? You know, that- Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's tension because you definitely don't want people to forget about what we've done to get where we are because there's a lot of really good things in there. But you also don't want them to rest on their laurels and just think, oh, because we have always been the best, or at least you know, for some period of time, we're just going to continue to automatically get there. You know, In football parlance, it's, the team just shows up and because of the helmet – They can just go through the motions and win the game. We can't do that. We have to understand that we're up against formidable uh, opponents. And what got us to this point, there's a lot of good there, and we have to take that that good. But we also have to kind of flush the part that's the the, the comfort and the, you know, hey, we've always done it this way, so let's just keep doing it. No, we have to find better ways to do it and really challenge ourselves and go out and do things the way that some of these startups have done it. And uh, that's not always easy. Like you said, there's tension there because you can't just totally flip the company on its end and go, you know, radically away. But you have to infuse more of that in. And I think that's what we're doing right now. What are you hearing from fleet owners and from truckers and also from your, you know, from within your company about the role of government incentives and regulation in this space? Obviously, that's kind of a huge question. But in particular, I'm interested in the sentiment that the government is basically driving this change rather than the market and there's skepticism about what's going to happen once the incentives run out. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, I, I think that's um, a, a valid um, way of saying it. So for sure, it's a TCO business and anything that adds to the cost changes the calculus and changes their profitability. And most of them are either privately held or publicly held companies. And so, you know, they want to maintain what they've done, you know, from a Results standpoint, which makes all the sense in the world, but uh, for sure incentives help prime the pump. And I think what we've seen is that without incentives, there's a few companies out there that will 
by a small handful of vehicles, you know, kind of out of their own pay more because they're just more expensive now because we're not in uh, mass production. They're willing to, to bite that off and, and do it in a small number, but they're not going to like convert their entire fleet uh, over. So the incentive money really helps. Uh, I think it helps not just on the vehicle side, but also on the infrastructure side. And, uh, you know, it's going to have to, uh, I think, stay there for a while, at least until people get, you know, uh, enough volume in place that the industry as a whole can now uh, have a more a price that's more at more at parity with what they see today. Do you think that's going to happen? It's going to happen, but it's probably not going to happen for a while because again, you know, today we'll build 200,000 vehicles uh, this year, thereabouts, 200,000 diesel vehicles. So, you know, we'd have to build 200,000 battery electric to get exactly or whatever to be able to get that same scale. And, you know, it's hard to imagine that anytime soon. But, you know, there's companies out there that are eagerly trying to drive down cost and, and everything else so that that can happen. So I know that's the target. As far as the timing, uh, it might take a while. I want to switch gears slightly to just touch briefly on uh, the Torque partnership. Can you give yeah. an update on that? What's, what's the latest? Yeah, so, you know, we have two autonomous plays. Uh, we are the uh, chassis supplier to Waymo. Uh, and then also Torque is our kind of in-house solution. So Waymo is doing what they call a universal driver, which is, you know, you start at the very deep inner city and find your way out as an automated truck all the way out to the freeway and then go, you know, down the road and then deep into a city somewhere else. Our model for Torque is more of what we call uh, point-to-point or hub-to-hub. So you would have a warehouse or whatever maybe within a mile or two of the freeway, you know, much simpler use case in terms of building those algorithms and then gets on the freeway and goes and then goes to another warehouse, you know, one or two miles off the freeway. So uh, far more simple. Uh, we think there's space there for that type of a uh, less complex uh, operating system for commercial vehicles. Yeah, they're they're going well. They, they have new leadership in place. Uh, Peter Von Schmidt uh, took over there about... Uh, two months ago, roughly. And uh, he's doing great. Strong team. You know, they continue to add talent and capability. And whenever we go see their uh, their vehicles uh, in operation, you know, they're, they're getting better all the time. So they're, they're making progress. But again, just like with hydrogen, you know, that's not a today or tomorrow solution. That's off in the future a ways. You know, you mentioned both in the autonomous space and in the EV space, there's an increasing focus on software. And obviously, you know, as an OEM, you're still expected to manage supply chain and manage manufacturing. To what extent do you feel like Daimler and other companies in this space are being asked to do everything? And, you know, how, how are you managing that challenge? Is, is there a limit, basically, to, to how many steps along the process one single company can, can handle? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the keys that, that we try to focus on is do what we either do really well or that we think we can do really well at in the future before we take something else on. So it's sometimes very um, compelling, you know, to sit there and go, oh, we can do this and this and this and this and kind of, you know, soup to nuts, end to end, do it all. Uh, but that's probably not the the solution, whether from a uh, success standpoint, can we pull it off? Having people to do it, having 
the the funds to invest in it instead of something else that we're really good at. You know, that's not the case. So we have to be far more open now to partnerships externally, which I think you've seen us do than we've ever been before. And I think that helps. It helps spread out the investment. It helps uh, focus the expertise where it really resides rather than trying to grow it all in-house. And uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, if for Daimler, that's uh, it's really important to understand what you do really well and focus on that and not just think you can do everything. John, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Coming up, I'll be talking to Michael Loescheler, the CEO of Nikola, about the benefits of hydrogen for long-haul trucking. This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation, a global technology company that supplies nearly every major automaker with advanced electronic features that optimize driver vision and enhance driving safety. Digital vision features like Gentech's full display mirror, an intelligent rear vision system that uses a custom camera and mirror integrated video display to optimize a vehicle's rearward view. Connected car features like Homelink, the industry's most widely used and trusted vehicle-based wireless control system that uses radio frequency and or cloud-based wireless control to operate garage doors, gates, home lighting, thermostats, security systems, and other compatible home automation devices. All from three buttons, smartly integrated into your vehicle's interior. And dimmable glass features like automatic dimming rear view mirrors that use sophisticated light sensors, proprietary gels, and microprocessor-based algorithms to darken the mirror to the precise level necessary to eliminate dangerous rear view mirror glare. The development and delivery of these features have improved driver convenience and safety around the world. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. The Daily Drive podcast brings you all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We give you all the top stories each weekday in interviews with experts like Mike Dunn explaining Jeep struggles in China. How bad did it get as recently as June? Sales of Jeeps in China. Can you guess the number, Jamie? Oh, gosh. Was it four digits? <laughs> it was one digit. <laughs> and the number was one. Listen and subscribe to Daily Drive at autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Shift. I'm Molly Boygon, in for Pete Bigelow. Next up, I'm speaking with Michael Loescheler, CEO of Nikola. He talks about some of Nikola's new partnerships. So as you can hear, we are on the floor of the ACT Expo 2023 in Anaheim, California. There is some vacuuming going on right near us, but we are safe and sound in the cab of a Nikola BEV, is that right? Absolutely. So we are in the cabin and it's exciting to be here. And um, yeah, great to be at Act Expo and let's get going. Great. So I want to talk about the rollout so far of Nikola vehicles. I know that you have a plan for the full year of 2023 to roll out up to 350 BEVs. And last, last I checked, I think you all were at 258. Is that right? So let's put that into perspective. Last year, we started with the production of our battery electric truck, and we produced 258 trucks in 2022. And that was a very important milestone for the company because it demonstrates 
we have a real truck, we have real tech, we have real factory, and, and Nikola is a, is a real company. So that was 2022. Then obviously we continue to produce this year, but the big news of 2023 for Nikola is actually the fuel cell truck, which we will launch in the second half of the year. And uh, and you know for that for that uh, launch, you have plans to release up to 150 in, in 2023. That's correct. Obviously, 2023 is a launch year, so we start producing the fuel cell truck in the second half of the year, and of course, volume will be limited. But then going into 24, then we have full capacity for both trucks. And how is that going? Well, very well. So we have done the beta trucks and now we do actually the next phase of development trucks. Well, this is what we call gamma trucks. We actually finalized the first gamma truck just recently. So we are on track to then start production in the third quarter of this year. Lots of other exciting things happening at Nikola. You know, you have the Volterra partnership and also the ChargePoint partnership. Why Why is Nikola so interested in investing in, in charging infrastructure, you know, of multiple types right now? Right. So, Nicola, on the one hand, we do trucks. And I think it's very exciting that we did the battery electric truck last year. This year is all about the fuel cell truck, as I said, but it needs more. We also provide the energy. So we will make sure that hydrogen is available for our fuel cell truck customers. Right. So in a way, we want to bring the chicken and the egg together. And I think that's very important because if you just have a world class truck, a best in class truck, as we have, customers quite rightly will say, well, where's the hydrogen? So that's why the announcement we made actually here at Egg Expo with regard to Volterra to build up to 50 stations is very significant because that gives customers the, the, the security like, hey, there will be stations and there will be places where then they can fuel the hydrogen. So very big announcement. And what we want to do from the Nikola side is really offer the truck and the energy. And therefore, we want to produce hydrogen with partners, distribute it, and then also dispense it. And therefore, the last point, the dispensing with stations is so important. And actually, we have also bundled all our energy products under the brand name Hyla. So the first two letters from hydrogen, the last two letters from, from Nikola, pretty cool name, Hyla. And uh, those stations, which we have announced this week, obviously are a very important strategic element in all this. And to what extent is the, is the build out of um, hydrogen infrastructure at the same time as the release of the vehicle or around the same time as the release of the vehicle related to lessons learned from Charging, you know, a lot of the a lot of the conversations here at Act Expo have been about how, you know, uh, fleet owners are interested in purchasing more vehicles of various types and are having trouble um, installing the charging infrastructure. You know, is is that a lesson learned? Is is that sort of something that you took from the from the charging rollout? As even though it's not, you know, the two are not that far apart, but what, what, what is that related? Now, Nikola is very focused on hydrogen in the fuel cell truck, and that was always the idea, always a strategy. Of course, the lessons learned from the battery electric truck confirm how good this approach and this strategy is, right? Because you need to build up really the entire ecosystem. As I said, just to have the truck or just the energy is not sufficient. The customer expects both, and I think uniquely, Nikola is uniquely positioned to do this right. And therefore, bringing these two things together is important. By the way, it's also not easy because we try to disrupt the truck industry by bringing zero emission mobility to the market. And we also try to disrupt the energy business. And doing both at the same time is not easy at all. But it's important that we achieve this because only then customers will be very happy with us and say, look, we get both. I want to zoom out for a second um, 
you know, there's sort of this uh, race to the finish for uh, semi-truck, um, you know, e-mobility solutions. And, uh, you know, the space is competitive, but it does appear that Nikola is sort of ahead of the curve for now. How, how do you kind of navigate that position? Because on the one hand, you know, there's cause for, uh, you know, celebration perhaps. And then on the other hand, it, the space is just so competitive and there are so many people kind of, because so many companies nipping at your heels. Sure. For, for Nikola, time to market was always very important. And that's why I think it was a big milestone last year to bring the battery electric truck to the market as one of the first, um, with also really a world-class range um, in terms of 330 miles. So very, very competitive. For the fuel cell truck, time to market is also very important for us. So we launched it, as I said, in the second half of the year, um, ahead of many, many other customers. And we want to use this time really also to position Nikola and the product, the energy in the market to make sure that we are very well positioned, right? So speed is important. Yeah, and of course, it's always good that the competition is out there because then everybody will get better. And uh, I, I'm always very much in favor of competition, but we believe to be like one of the first is, is important in this industry. I want to switch gears slightly. A lot of the um, EV startup companies are struggling for cash. Mm -hmm. And um, in March, you know, there was a stock split. There was a, there was a tough market reaction to that. And, um, you know, the company said that it was going to raise money for working capital and other purposes. Can you talk about sort of the cash crunch and, and how you all are navigating that? Yeah, we will share all the details, of course, in terms of cash situation in our earnings call, which is on May 9th. But important to, to highlight that we still have access to liquidity. We also announced this. We, we raised $100 million, um, a couple of weeks ago. So that's important. And then we make sure that there is enough liquidity because it's a business which requires capital. Also important for me is that we focus on really what matters, right? So we, we are a company, um, young company. We, we have to focus on what really matters. And that is absolutely for us the energy business, but in particular also with hydrogen, the fuel cell truck, right? So that's where the focus is. And um, that, that's how we approach this. I know that you've talked to some of my automotive news colleagues and, um, you know, in, in addressing Nicola's sort of checkered past, you've talked about how you know, ultimately, the product just basically has to speak for itself. Have you have you found that happening so far? How how are you navigating this? You know, you've now had several months in in your new position. Has have you noticed any change at all in the way that people think about the company, or are you still kind of navigating that challenge? Obviously, I focus on on the future and can change the future. But what's very interesting to see here also at Act Expo, many people are coming, many customers are coming, right? And of course, what what are they doing? They're very interested in the truck. They want to do a ride and drive, experience the truck. So, I keep saying, and I think that's really the the, the key point. Like the product will do the convincing, right? We think we have a best in class product together with our energy that will convince customers. And people are very very quickly in terms of changing to the future and not look. Back, right. This might also be something that you'll address in the earnings call. But um, in February, you, you, the company talked about um, some factors that were influencing demand for the battery electric vehicle. Do you have an update on that? How you know what, what sort of factors are you examining as you try and meet demand and sort of predict customer demand for the electric vehicle? Sure. 
obviously we will update you on the details in, in our earnings call, but it's it's very obvious, like also what we discussed earlier. The truck is one important element, but for the battery electric truck, for example, is also the infrastructure. And in some cases, this works well. We also have solutions. We have mobile chargers. But for some customers, it actually takes time. So permitting takes time. So we work through all this, um, but it's always the same. You need to bring the truck and the infrastructure together and then you have a real comprehensive customer solution. And that's what we are working very hard on. I wonder if you could address some of the macro factors that I feel were on every single phone call I had a, maybe a month and a half ago and have since basically disappeared. You know, people were really concerned about a downturn. I think there's probably still some concern now. But, um, you know, the, 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 the larger trend was that um, a lot of EV startups, including Nikola, um, you know, came about in a time when when capital was flowing much more freely, and um, that's not so much the case anymore. How are you looking at the larger macro environment? So overall, I, I see the following. First of all, the interest in terms of zero emission mobility is absolutely increasing, especially while we are here sitting in California in our truck. I mean, with all the new regulations coming out, also in terms of banning the diesel truck going forward, focusing in terms of drayage on zero emission mobility, there is a very strong trend in terms of zero emission mobility. That is helping us a lot. And the reality is also we just do the first steps, right? So we are not impacted so much by the overall market, right? Right? because more and more people are interested. For us, the key thing is how fast is the adoption going from a diesel truck to zero emission mobility trucks? And I'm optimistic because everything I hear confirms like we are on the right path. The future of heavy trucking industry is without emissions, so we do the right things. And do you feel that hydrogen is certainly a part of that solution? I think, you know, I it seems like the medium-duty trucking um, segment has basically settled on a particular battery type but with this with a particular you know within within slight variations a particular range um do you, do you feel that hydrogen is certainly part of the solution for longer haul trucking absolutely and why do i say so because in all conversation with with customers hydrogen has a very important place and and it's also very obvious why that is i mean the range of the fuel cell truck is just better i mean in our case we go to 500 miles which is significant the fueling time is also much less, so around 20 minutes. And in general, also, the weight is better, which is helpful then in terms of payload, right? So at the end of the day, I keep saying the customer will decide and not management, right? <laughs> Customers will decide. There will be applications where the battery electric truck is better, like in ports where you always go on a very specific route every day. I'm sure with electricity prices, this can be the best solution. But there will other be other applications where the fuel cell truck is is better, and we will see. If, if I would predict, I think there is more demand on the fuel cell truck. Do you see a sort of winnowing of the pool of competitors at a certain point? Um, you know, as I said, it's it's a crowded space right now. There's you know, ca cash is <laughs> harder to come by, and and you know, R and D is very expensive. A lot of this technology is very expensive. When do you think it'll be clear to consumers, to the market, um, to other companies who, who is kind of winning and who's losing? I'm actually not so sure if the place is so crowded because if you go out today here and want to buy a zero emission truck, which companies have inventory available today? I think there will be very few. Nikola has inventory available. I can sell you this battery electric truck here today. 
And I think we need to differentiate between announcements and reality. And obviously, I want to make sure that Nicola is is advancing in this. But I say we have the truck available here. We will have the fuel cell truck available. And let's see what the other competitors are doing. But I want to see trucks on the road and not just announcement for the future. Because everybody can do an announcement. That is easy. It's much more difficult than to prove it and convince customers that they're happy with their truck. So I think competition is is good. And so, well, obviously, we will work very hard that Nicola is a winner in all this. At one point, I think that Nicola, as you know, this, this is not news to you, ha- had a sort of credibility issue to, to Civilis. You know, that that impacted the way that people viewed the space. And I think that not not so much Nicola anymore, but there there are, speaking of announcements and sort of putting your money where your mouth is, there have been companies that have had trouble delivering on the promises that they've made. And um, I'm just curious about how you navigate the sort of larger industry credibility issue, if you think there is one, or maybe maybe from where I sit, it's different than, than what you're seeing. So what we do is with our team is we go to the ride and drive and see like, okay, who, who is really out there? Which truck you can drive? What, what is real? And I think um, there, there is a key element in terms of, okay, who has credibility? And then I'm sure people will assess this and choose the, the, the best product, right? So I look very much on, on that. Yeah, and of course, at every ex- exhibition, at every show, you have announcements. Uh, that, that, that's normal. But I think here, it's very cool at Act Expo, you have a ride and drive, right? And um, we are fully booked. Everybody wants to drive our trucks. And that feedback is really important to us because then we can assess like, okay, we are doing great and we are better than the competition. So that, that's actually what I really like about this exhibition. Great. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Shift, a podcast about mobility. If you enjoyed these conversations or the Shift podcast overall, please give us a like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Molly Boygon, in for Pete Bigelow. We hope you'll join us again next week.